trigger warning, trigger warning. This is a reminder, you have got a trigger. Do you know what your trigger is? It's that soft spot, that bruise that makes you see red when it gets pushed. And I don't know what your trigger is. Only you know that. This podcast strives to have thoughtful adult conversation about human issues. But I'm not a professional, and I would describe lots of the topics here as things that would trigger someone. So if you find yourself being triggered by any of the issues that we talk about here, I'm asking you now to please take that opportunity to simply find something else to listen to. Also, this is not professional advice, ever, (laughs) even when we talk to professionals. This is only casual conversation that is meant to promote for mindfulness and examine our own egos. Thanks. I'm already not telling this story quite how I imagined, but you can't imagine these things. It just has to happen, you know? He was a uh, agreeable person, smiley, like positive. The thing is that I think that I never actually examined him as a person. His English was not good. It was hard to know if we were ever connecting, if we were ever understanding each other. Like shortly after I met him, he sits me down and is like, I have something very serious to ask you. And then he explains his dream is to go to business school in America and his work visa's almost expired and yada, yada, yada. And I'm listening to it. And I this is right after just meeting all these great people and realizing how many people awesome people, people just like me, just like you, really want American passports and the power that having an American passport means. So he's like telling me like my deadline for my visa to not overstay it is this time that's very soon. And, you know, one option would be if I married an American woman, will you do this for me? Not that it's not a good idea to do that with anyone. It was a bad idea to do it with this guy. I'm like caught up in this whole world. And I was like, I am erasing myself. Your necessary delusion. Your necessary delusion. Why do you keep lying to yourself? Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me, Earth Monster. I'm your host, Matt LeBlanc, and I'm a phone person. I mean, my family lives far away, and I've always been super chatty, but I can be on the phone for hours. Test me. This is Your Necessary Delusion, the storytelling show that celebrates vulnerability and speaks to the darkest, messiest little parts of your heart about the lies that we tell ourselves every day, the stories that we use to get out of bed, the fantasies that we let propel our lives. Our storyteller today is an old friend and a great one. To know Rosie is to love her. Or maybe she has such a big personality that you either love her or you don't. But I'm biased because I've always loved Rosie. She just cannot help but be herself. And she is a wildly compelling earth monster, in my humble opinion. Her story today is one that she does not tell often. Or ever. You've got a couple stories like that, I bet. Rosie and I were in our early 20s, just graduated from college. And although I was around for the beginning of this story... When her delusion really blasted off, like a rocket, she ran away from me and most of the people that knew her well in order to live it out. We didn't talk again for close to 10 years after that. And so, like you, this is the first time that I'm hearing about this very influential period in her life. But enough of me. Let's get into it. Here's Rosie. 
Oh shit. It's my mom not answering that. <laughs> Necessary distractions. Okay, so yeah, well let's back up to UArts. I finished school in the middle of a year. You dropped out. You were living in New York with Zach in the super cool basement apartment in Queens. And I find this job posting for a lead decorator for Christmas Decorators USA. I I think, oh, that's interesting. Decorating for Christmas. I, I just knew I wanted to go to New York. I wanted to get out of Philadelphia. I was dating Ted and he didn't want to go to New York. He hates New York City. Rosie was just graduating art school. Her boyfriend, Ted, had been a sculpture major at UArts. Rosie was a painter. They'd been together for a while, but when school ended, Rosie was craving the fast pace of the city. Ted was more interested in moving off the grid to rural Maine after college, so they were destined for different directions. I mean, Ted and I were a solid couple. You saw yeah. that. He, he doesn't operate in the same way that I do as far as like impulsive desire. I was super passionate about the history of art when I met Ted and he had applied to art school by mistake, basically, like because his friend was doing it. I thought it was the most important thing in the world and that I was going to dedicate myself to it fully and completely. And he's just lets experiences kind of fall. He was different than her. He let experiences fall onto him, but they loved each other, and she had grown tremendous respect for him. I did too. Ted is awesome. But they were different, and not meant for a romantic relationship. Sad to break up, but who had time for sad? They were just graduating college. I was 19, and I'm looking for adventure and newness. After four years of art school, she wanted something different. She wanted to start her life. I think that the history of art shows us that a lot of the heavy hitters that we grow up looking at and a lot of the work that touches us, a lot of that has to do with the place and time and being in that right place in the right time. And I think when I finished school, I looked at graduate school MFA stuff and I was just so like, ugh, this is like not what I'm going to do. I am not going to like go get my MFA and become a teacher and just like peddle in this world of just like derivative nonsense. In fact, maybe a part of her had decided that she was done with the art scene completely. Maybe the reason that Rosie ran so fast and hard out into the world to find something new was because she didn't want to end up derivative nonsense herself. I just wanted to get away from the comfort of a scene that I found myself in and have a totally different experience. So why not move in with Zach and Marcus and me? We were living in a basement full of trash in Sunnyside, Queens. (laughs) We thought it was Bohemia, but I've got to assume that was full delusion. I think Zach's girlfriend was crashing with us too, and maybe Marcus's which left my room for Rosie to share. And that was great. And I started commuting to the South Bronx to the warehouse where all the decorations are made in preparation. It was physical work, warehouse work. Rosie knew she would be working with mostly men, but like she said, she was done with the chapter of her life where she used her body only to make paintings and lounge around talking about art all day and her ideas about the world. She was ready to live. She was ready to do. So for her, sleeping on our floor and working in a warehouse full of guys felt like exactly that. I feel like I'm built for it. And I always have. It feels natural for me. 
And when I'm in a situation where everybody has to like get on a video call or be in a group and then follow the rules of the group, that's just never felt right. Like I felt like I'm always the person leaving the room to smoke a cigarette or I don't know, not finishing the seminar or whatever. I think I have really severe ADD and New York felt like that was a place I could spin out. (laughs) So New York may have been the delusion of reinvention, but the truth that the delusion was covering was that she was aimed at spinning out of control. So Rosie slept on my floor, and I covered my bedroom walls with garbage and called it art. And she went to work in the Bronx, where she wouldn't have to join any video calls. And everyone I worked with when I first showed up was from the South Bronx. So it was all Puerto Ricans and Dominicans and people from New York. It was like a a mixture of New Yorkers. Before she knew it, she was completely caught up in Christmas preparation. I was just kind of like a factory elf. And so that was super cool. It's like this huge warehouse and there's aisles that are all purple ornaments, like all purple balls, matte shiny, clear, you know, all gold, all silver. And so we would get these kind of instructions like 12 foot wreath, all gold and silver sparkles or no sparkles or, and those were all the different accounts for Lord and Taylor, Bergdorf Goodman's, like every place, like every bank, we've designed the Christmas decorations for it or they're already designed. But they assembled them. It was sort of the perfect place for her. It was just meeting people, having lunch together. Oh, look how they packed their lunch. Oh, and I had that relationship with that guy, Junior. He was like big and strong Haitian guy from Brooklyn. Who better to welcome her to the city? Fun flirting, chemistry at work, few dates, whatever. That was fun, but it was also kind of like marking that I'm definitely wandering away from Ted. She was wandering away from Ted. Someone who made her feel seen and understood and loved. It was just the moment she was in. She was looking for something different. And Different's name was Junior. How did he pack his lunch? Oh, man. Like, seasoned rice was in one Tupperware. Another Tupperware would have, like, a few drumsticks. And then another Tupperware would have stewed vegetables. And so he would then mix it all together in a separate bowl. And that was, (laughs) that's impressive to me. I like that. Food is such an intimate thing. You can really tell so much about a person. My lunch was a bag of edamame shells that I like could pop in my mouth as a snack and then leftover pollo pollo. The Peruvian chicken place around the corner from our queen's basement. We were all pretty much living off pollo pollo at that point. So we just had a lot of like physical chemistry. Like right away, he was flirting with me. That's attractive. We were were, like meeting in different places, going for long walks. I think we only spent the night together like two or three times. God damn it, mommy. (laughs) But um, once we took a walk through Central Park and we ended up having sex in Central Park, that was pretty cool. That was the kind of experience she was looking for. That was her delusion realized. She wasn't chain-smoking in art studios anymore, drinking beers comfortably in her scene back in art school in Philly. She was having sex in Central Park with a dude named Junior from Brooklyn. This idea that she had was working out pretty well. And aren't you always more confident when you're getting laid? Especially with a brand new person who's totally different than you. I'm probably projecting here, but I have derived all kinds of confidence and delusional self-worth and big ideas about myself from sleeping with strangers. 
And then what happens is around November, Christmas Decorators USA shifts from making the decorations to training people to set up the decorations. And a lot of the people who are part of the summer crew don't do the installation stuff, which you get paid twice, sometimes three times as much to do installation stuff. And it was like overnight, a bunch of Eastern European, mostly men just showed up and filled the warehouse. And so... It was uh, a lot of people on work visas, people from Poland, Russia, the stands like Uzbekistan and that region of the world, Ukrainian kids, people, men, women, mostly men just showed up and juniors dropped off because most of the New Yorkers think, oh, the installation stuff is crazy. We're not doing that. Only crazy fucking Russians do that. (laughs) Um, But I was like, this sounds cool. I'm going to do this. I'm going to stick on for this and it's more money. Maybe it was time to move on, go do something else for a while, but she couldn't leave now. She was on a roll. Every idea that she had had about moving to New York and leaving Ted and Christmas decorations, it was all working. Delusion. So she buckled down and prepared for the intense holiday push. So there was like little drills where they'll be like, everybody at the same time has to set up a 12-foot tree with these decorations. You get the instructions and then we're doing it. So we're having like, Decorating drills, if you can imagine. Like burglars preparing for a heist. They would break up into teams, Rosie and all the Eastern European dudes, and they would race to assemble Christmas trees. So we're doing these drills, and I'm having casual conversation with the person who's working with me setting up this tree. And I kind of notice out of the corner of my eye that this tall, relatively handsome guy keeps kind of like laughing at what I'm saying. And I think somebody was talking about somebody's shoes and how nice they were. And then one of the Russian guys was like, what do you mean they're nice shoes? That person's wearing sneakers. And then I was like, oh, that's how Americans dress nice. When you match your sneakers to your hat, to your shirt, to your jacket, that's like looking nice. That's that's like a, a form of style. And this dude's kind of laughing at my personality. I can like feel it. And somebody says something and I said, get out of town. And then he was like, get out of town. Where are you from? And I said, Philly. I said, I'm from Philadelphia. And so then he just, we just started kind of talking, joking. I mean, geez, that makes it sound also sound so silly. But it was something like that. That was like the premise of us starting to talk. This was Robert. It was like immediate that we had this kind of joking rapport that was really fun. And I didn't think anything of it. Delusion. She thought about it a lot. She hadn't noticed him before. She had just been running her mouth about shoes and keeping her hands busy putting together a giant Christmas tree. When all of a sudden she was feeling this totally new, different, electric chemistry with a stranger. That'll get anyone's mind going. You know, when you're talking to someone who maybe their English isn't great, uh, a lot of nuances are lost or there's like a, a limit to an amount of fun you can have because of that lost nuance. Robert didn't have that. He had this like amazing way of picking up colloquialisms or behavior and being able to like breach that more so than anybody I think I've ever met to this day. It reminds me of my wife, actually. She speaks English and Spanish and maybe a little Italian. She usually doesn't get any reference to pop culture, but she understands human behavior better than most people I know. And I'll speak for myself. It is a really fun, intriguing, unexpected, sexy quality. And as soon as like Christmas decorating starts, which is right around Thanksgiving, it was crazy. The schedule's insane. 
you'll get a text that's like show up at 6 p.m. at this location. You show up and you work until maybe 6 a.m. the next day or 8 a.m. the next day. This was kind of where I fell out of Rosie's story. She was still sleeping on my floor, but she was working all night, sleeping during the day and getting swept up in her delusion with Robert. Making each other laugh, that was like a thing that was happening and that was kind of exciting. It was like a good omen telling her that she had done the right thing, followed the right path, met the right stranger. And so she marched deeper into the delusion. That's when I moved out of your place. She didn't need the training wheels of her old art school scene anymore. She didn't need all of our preconceived delusions about who she was. She was still figuring out who she was, still practicing being herself, figuring out what that meant. She needed to be surrounded by strangers, free of the tethers of her old friend's opinions. You've been there. Because I moved to a room in the South Bronx. I was paying per week to live in like this woman in her family's house. It was really bizarre. I was basically just sleeping where I lived, not eating there, not anything, because like the schedule is insane. But anytime I was off of work, I was on the subway home and sleeping. And then, and that's really fun for me. And actually the rest of my life has looked like that kind of boom and bust work situation. I mean, it's also awful to live that way. And yet something powerful, something semi-conscious has kept her doing it to this day. So there's teams where there's a driver who drives the box truck. There's a decorator and another decorator. And so you get this text, you take the subway, meet in the Bronx, get a truck, and then you have to like pull the truck up somewhere in Manhattan and then start unloading and start doing the uh, make the magic is the is what they say. And this could be anywhere, like a bank or a big corporate building, right? Yeah. That's the kind of thing you're doing? Yeah. Chase Manhattan. Yeah. Banks, corporate buildings, all that, that whole world. Like America. How many people are on your team? There's only four people on each team, I think, because that's what fits in the truck. But there'll be many people that show up at one location. There's like 20 of us there. There's some guy who's like an expert in rigging and some, there's all these different things. What was your specialty? I was lead decorator. So like to be able to look and see, I mean, was I, I mean, that's the story. That's what I think I was. (laughs) I I think I was like a, I think that I was just a worker that, but I think I remember at one point being told like, you have to look and make sure at the end where the problems are and fix them. Cause I think maybe somebody recognized my eye for that. Delusion. Or maybe she had just decided that, (laughs) in her head, without asking anyone else. Just started thinking of herself as the lead decorator. Because she had just gotten out of four years of art school, and her unconscious bias perked up when it saw an opportunity to shine. That's what I think. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But But maybe you just decided that? (laughs) Yeah. No, I really think I had the job description lead decorator. Oop, never mind. We are changing history here, folks. So Rosie was the lead decorator. <clears throat> she was hardly sleeping. And her fun, flirty friend Robert was on her team. At this point, Robert and I were, were developing like a friendship. He's the kind of dude that we'd show up at a location. Everybody's like doing the things they're supposed to do, like setting up the wiring. You know, there's all these like different things that have to happen. And so I'm already kind of got my eye on him. I'm already attracted to him. And so my radar is scanning the whole work situation. Because that's kind of what a lead decorator is supposed to do. And I'll notice that like, he always just seemed to be kind of leaning on like a ladder or on the wall. 
like barely working, kind of flirting with someone. He had really broad shoulders, super skinny, tall, and always had a few buttons unbuttoned and just always seemed like he was on vacation. Like nothing was a big deal. Never looked like he was rushing. Just like that kind of person. Wildly different energy from Rosie. Rosie is on a mission, always. Rosie works harder than the other workers. She will sacrifice more. She doesn't like to throw food away. She always eats her leftovers. She eats with her hands. She doesn't waste. She doesn't go on vacation. She reserves her energy for the next time she's going to need it. And she's always going to need it. Because she lives her whole life in a boom and bust. Here's Marcus with a fun anecdote to support my point. She was like extremely cautious about being responsible with like food and waste and stuff. She was like very conscious and like thrifty in that way. And I remember once uh, finding one of those little red and white like mints that are wrapped in cellophane in the refrigerator and eating it. And she came in the kitchen while it was in my mouth. She was like, oh, I'm so glad somebody ate the other half of that. And I was like, it's a mint. And she was like, oh, yeah, I, like, suck on them for a while, and then I, like, spit them back into the plastic and and wrap them up to, like, eat them later. Eccentric Earth monsters. Both of them. Who puts half a mint in the refrigerator, and who finds a single mint in the refrigerator mysteriously and eats it? To this day, like, one of the most disgusting things I've ever personally been a part of. (laughs) Marcus loves Rosie. He really does. To know Rosie is to love her. I hope that comes across in this recording. Anyway, Rosie was thrifty and a hard worker. She was a woman on a mission. And, unbeknownst to us, she was quietly falling in love with Robert. I think he came to New York when he was 18 from St. Petersburg. His mother was Russian. He had big ideas about the ways that true and righteous humans behaved and interacted. For instance, true and righteous humans traveled all over the world. And if you weren't well-traveled like he was, then you were only living up to like 60% of your potential. You were missing out on a quintessential aspect of what it meant to be alive. Robert's delusion. But Rosie liked that story. She responded to its spirit. She wanted to be true and righteous because it would drive her out into the world to live. His goal, I think, in being in New York was to get citizenship somehow and go to business school or or study political science. He had like really lofty goals kind of. And so I'm coming from like Philadelphia art school and that's like kind of exotic. I thought that was exotic. I was like, oh, this guy's like wants to study political science. That's kind of interesting and impressive. Interesting and impressive and completely different than what she was coming from which we know was kind of exactly what she was looking for, something new. So maybe we hung out once or twice during this installation time outside of work, and we met at Astor Place because he was staying on the Lower East Side. The home base of this group was this tenement apartment in one of those rent-controlled Ukrainian tenement buildings on the Lower East Side. And I get out of the subway and I'm walking and I'm kind of looking for him. And he's leaning against a column in the subway station reading Cicero, like the Roman philosopher Cicero. Mm -hmm. I thought that was so cool. This guy wasn't letting experiences fall on him. Maybe she felt like she had met an equal or someone who could push her. There was times at work where he would he would be talking about something while we were working next to each other. And he'd be like, do you know what grappa is? And I, I didn't know what grappa was. And then he explained it. Grappa's a liquor that's made from the skin of grapes. And somehow he put it in some poetic, passionate way. That was like the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. He explained it as liquid sunshine. And (laughs) I'd never had it. And he was like, well, let's go get it right now. Now? They couldn't go now. They were working. 
Rosie was on a mission, setting up a giant Christmas tree with gold and white decorations in the lobby of a corporate bank. She didn't operate like that. They couldn't go now. But Robert insisted that they leave the job site and find shots for her to try grappa right then. As if to suggest that it was more important for Rosie to ingest liquid sunshine than finish the job that she was being paid to do. We left the job site. We maybe walked like two blocks. It felt strange putting down her work unfinished. Their team members continued on their mission with the Christmas decorations as they slipped out the front doors into the cold, fresh evening air. This was somewhere in Manhattan, and we went to a bar. Her stomach full of butterflies like a teenager. This wasn't an experience falling onto them. They were disrupting the pattern, charging out to live with intention and find their experience by any means necessary. The bar was long and narrow. It was dark, with completely different pedestrian life being lived inside. They stood, their eyes scanning the bottles, still in their work clothes. And he ordered two shots of grappa. I think that they were $50 a piece, like dropped $100. We took a shot of grappa and went back to work. Their stomachs warm, their heads light, their eyes wide, full of liquid sunshine. They went right back to assembling the Christmas tree. Got in trouble for that. They didn't care. They had their priorities in order. Then there was one job site where it was super cold that night. And in the truck on the way to the job site, he... (sighs) pulled a candle out of his pocket and put it on the dashboard and lit it as like just kind of like symbolic warmth. We got called into the office after that and we got in big trouble for like having a candle in a truck. I guess that's against company policy for some reason. Which is ironic considering the company's slogan, that little candle was making all the magic. But while we were sitting getting reprimanded, like we were both like laughing and... (laughs) It was fun. Like we were having fun and I was like definitely falling in love with this person, like very quickly. How could she not? This chemistry, the way that they seemed to align philosophically towards life, these butterflies. Robert wasn't giving away how he felt, but these gestures were not empty or accidental. This was romance. And this person was so different than the last person I was dating. Ted. You know, like that leisure attitude that I do whatever I want attitude, but then also this kind of sophistication. It felt powerful and infectious. She was falling fast, but maybe there was one piece outside of the delusion that she couldn't seem to shake. The thing with the Russian guys was they were a little bit formal, which I actually found like difficult. Like they'd be like, you smoke a cigarette like a man or whatever. Although Rosie is very feminine in her own ways, she truly embodies a powerful woman. If you met her right off the bat, you'd most likely think tomboy. She was wearing work clothes. Her palms were calloused from unloading trucks and making art back in Philly. At the beginning of this call, before she started her story, she prompted us to do a set of push-ups. Needless to say, she does not fall easily into a traditional ladylike archetype. And if you ever see travel photos from a Russian family, it's like this very gender-constricting culture, I'd say. And it's just not in Rosie's nature to be constricted. Uh, Totally kind of trying to get Robert to fall in love with me, or I think that I am. These are romantic moves that he's making, right? Do you think that he's feeling this as well? I feel like I could sense that we were connecting and having fun together but i also from the little bits of information i'm getting about the people he's been romantic with they're like not girls like me they're like beautiful like super feminine hang on rosie is beautiful but she's not delicate she has big strong features full lips big bright eyes beauty's subjective but she's an attractive person 
And could I describe you to be more authentically? You're like a little bit of like a cowboy. Oh, all right. Yeah, sure. Right? Yeah, cowboy from New Jersey. But I, I yeah. it, it took a while to find my stride. <laughs> But you got some of that blue collar posture, Definitely. right? You're not afraid, to, not, not only not afraid to get your hands dirty, but excited to get your hands sure. dirty. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I think that when I was hanging out and this is like specific to the Russian guys, I definitely tried to hold myself a little bit straighter and was more aware of those things. But you know, it's just like a matter of time before that falls apart because I have trouble not being myself, you know? She wasn't sure exactly what Robert was thinking about her. She's a tomboy, but in a relationship, maybe the role she likes to play is a little more traditional. She was looking for a strong man because she was going to be the woman. I think it's going well, but I, I didn't think of myself as someone he would be typically attracted to. I think that's the sense that I got. We hang out like once or twice after the season ends. It's just like drinking and hanging out where he lived, meeting all of these people that are in his satellite. And all of a sudden, a, a friend of his shows up. Enter Genna. So this guy Genna shows up. I meet him like once or twice. I don't have any thoughts about him that whole community they really like let each other sleep in each other's apartments like barely knowing each other there's like seven guys living in this tiny apartment on the lower east side seven guys and rosie she wasn't living there but she was hanging out all the time but as soon as christmas decorators ended he bought a plane ticket to i don't even know where it all happened so fast robert was leaving rosie tried to get in as much time as she could with him before he left and we ended up spending like two days together before he left, just totally making out. Just like all the romance just came out in this 48 hours. It's like, okay, work ended. And then two days of like walking around New York. His friends were around. I, I don't even remember. I just remember we were like all over each other all at once. It just all happened at once. And then he was getting on a plane. And so, yeah, I mean, I really distinctly remember standing in this guy's apartment and Robert's looking something up about his plane on the computer and he had his arm on my back and he was kind of like uh, following my belt line with his, with his hand. And it was like, to this day, the sexiest thing I've ever experienced. I went to the airport to drop him off in a cab and we were just horizontal making out in this cab. Like it was, <laughs> it was like out of line, <laughs> you know? And then <laughs> you said, I dropped off the radar. Like I did, I dropped, I like totally was in this thing. And then he leaves and then it was like, oh, reality, where do I live? How do I make money? <laughs> what am I doing? You know? Robert was gone. She thinks maybe he went to Alaska or maybe somewhere on his way to Alaska. What did it matter? He wasn't in New York. She started renting a room in my girlfriend's squatter apartment after that. She had found her way back to a scene of art school kids. And even though she didn't say it at the time, she didn't want any part of it. All of a sudden, I went from my world of like all these immigrants from Eastern Europe back to art school crowd. And I was just like, ugh. Come on, really? Like, this is not what I, this is, this is not where I should be. She was always coming and going, never able to sit still. Part of me expected her to relax into the group at a certain point. I was excited to have her, but her energy was searching and sometimes frantic to get away. Missing Robert, wanting to maintain that connection, 
with that thing she felt like she found. His friend Genna that I met briefly reached out to hang out and it's like, yeah, why not? I'm thinking this is Robert's good friend. I'll hang out with this guy once in a while. His presence could be useful in making her feel like she was maintaining her connection with Robert. Delusion. But Genna was not Robert. Good looking guy, but a 12 year old's body, like someone who never grew into a tree, you know, like never, <laughs> like still a sapling kind of. And the only reason I'm hanging out with him when he reaches out to me is because he's friends with Robert. It's a connection to Robert. His English was not good. So there was a big language barrier there. But somehow it made her feel good to spend time with him. It must have because she had a bunch of her good friends living in the city. All of us that she wasn't making herself available for. And the thing about Genna is that I think I never actually examined him as a person. I just saw him as Robert's friend. And looking back on it, he's like one of those people where you're hanging out with someone and you make a joke and they're kind of like, ha, 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 ha. And it's like, oh, did they just really connect with what I said? It was hard to know if we were ever connecting, if we were ever understanding each other. He was a uh, agreeable person, smiley, like positive. An easy, submissive prop to pretend to be friends with. <laughs> she was pretending for herself and secretly feeling connected to Robert. One day she and Genna were kicking around the Lower East Side, giggling nervously at each other's attempts at conversation. When suddenly, Genna had something important to discuss. Like shortly after I met him, he sits me down and is like, I have something very serious to ask you. And then he explains his family's story. They sat on a bench, Rosie smoking cigarettes and fighting to understand. The family had struggled. They didn't have much money. And his dream is to go to business school in America and his work visas almost expired and yada, yada, yada. And I'm listening to it. And I, this is right after just meeting all these great people and realizing how many people, awesome people, people just like me, just like you, really want American passports and the power that having an American passport means. And, you know, you don't think about that growing up. And I'm very sympathetic to that. I am to this day. I mean, geez, what people go through to try to get out of the situations that they're in and just the, the lack of opportunity. So he's like, Telling me like, oh, my deadline for my visa to not overstay it is this time that's very soon. And, you know, one option would be if I married an American woman, will you do this for me? Maybe you felt a little bit of your own privilege at that time, too. The privilege of being an American citizen, for sure. You know, yeah, completely. And just thinking like, oh, there's this simple thing I can do for people. And it was like, yeah, I can get married this year. Maybe in five years I can get married to somebody else. Like, I don't put any heavy thing on marriage. Maybe I'll regret that one day. And at this point, Robert and I have not been communicating. I don't know where he was, but maybe it was Alaska. And Genna kind of talks about Robert enough that it makes me think, that they're close friends. I can be really impulsive and irreverent. And it's not like, oh, this is something I want to do. It was like, this is something that might not be that big of a deal. And it is this favor. And I think a part of my mind was like, oh, this will be a good mark on my report card for what I've been up to while Robert's away or, you know, somewhere that was factoring into it. Delusion. What I did was I went home and I wrote on a legal pad the circumstances in which I would do this for him. And the circumstances were, I'm doing this for you as a friend. Never is this going to have anything to do with romance. Because she was in love with Robert and planning to be with him on some level. Like I was very clear because the, the worst thing that could happen, right, would be if he 
had a romantic interest in me, I thought, because then we're married and you have a romantic interest. That's like a nightmare. Or if he didn't follow through with getting his paperwork as soon as possible. So it was like, okay, if we do this, then everything in your life is about getting your citizenship as fast as possible. So success and I can move on and with my life. Back at my girlfriend's place in bed we were all sitting around the kitchen table having drinks. Tequila, I think. Rosie exploded through the door, her usual entrance. She was a flurry of stuff, her bag strewn over one shoulder, her coat stripping off as she made her way to a chair at the table, a legal pad with pages blowing in one hand and a pen in the other, a cigarette trailing smoke hanging from her lips. She quickly poured a cocktail from our bottle and hashed out the whole unexpected debate. As you're describing this, I'm remembering you with the legal pad. Like going through items and like adding stuff as you're like, as you're like coming up with it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a scary proposition. We had hardly even heard of this guy or we would always get him confused with Robert, who we also did not know. And her attitude behind the idea was confusing. She hardly knew him. It was helping him with his citizenship, but he wasn't paying her or anything. And she already seemed to be 75% going to do it. I remember having a very long conversation with you at their kitchen table about oh, wow. this. I, I don't remember that. I wish I did. It was definitely not a good idea. She knows that now. Not that it's not a good idea to do that with anyone. It was a bad idea to do it with this guy. Like, it could have been any other fucking guy. I could have gotten paid. I could have, like... That was the other thing. You weren't even going to get paid. We were like, he's not going to give you anything. It's because it was this person's friend. It's because I was crazy about this person, and I thought... This is going to pay off in another way. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, without... I probably didn't admit that to myself then. She decided to do it. She made the decision fast, within a couple days of him asking. Maybe she wanted to help someone who didn't have the same opportunities that she did. Maybe she did it because, in some backwards way, she thought it would lead her to love with Robert. Or maybe, on some level, she had a sense that this was a way she could spin out of control. Nobody had a good reaction to it. So she didn't tell her parents, who were living right across the river in New Jersey. My best friends that I grew up with, they're all first generation. A lot of them are. And I thought they would totally be like, oh, that's awesome. You're doing this person a favor. And they were all just like, this is stupid. Do you know this person? This is so illegal. They were, they were just like, this is illegal. And I was like, really? That's the reason you're telling me this is a bad idea? Because <laughs> it's not legal? Like, give me something else. If you give me something else, I'll think about it. But I really don't think she would have. Not really. She was acting like she had an open mind, but with every logical, reality-based point that we posed to her she would find a way to spin it in favor of marrying Genna. Because on some level, she had already made up her mind, already latched on to the idea, started to look at herself like she was the kind of person who would help him in this way. And maybe she liked how it looked on her. I remember like you and Zach, I don't remember exactly the reactions, but I don't remember it being like, cool. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think I was worried about you Mm -hmm. in that moment. I could not make a point to you. Oh, because I was just like, oh, this is something that I'm doing. You were talking yourself into it so hard, I think, Uh as you were going, right? Yeah. I can be so intense about what I think, and even to this day. Oh, Earth Monster. Me too. But none of us know nearly as much as we think we do. But I have one thing I like about myself is I am not afraid to admit that I'm wrong. But she didn't know if she was wrong yet. In fact, the story was still just getting started. She went back to Genna with her yellow legal pad of demands. If they got married, 
he would get his citizenship as quickly as possible, and he would never fall in love with her. This was a friendship thing. And I was like, here, this is the only way if you agree to these things. Yes, I agree to these things. And then I think he called his father and got his father a ticket from Russia to come to America. To attend the wedding. All of a sudden, they're wedding planning. This was all very fast, very fast. And then I remember like the next week we walked around in Brighton Beach to pick out where he was like, we must have a reception of some sort. And so we walked around and he picked out a restaurant. We'll have our reception here. And then he, for some reason, thought it was really important that we had wedding rings. I imagine his reason was he wanted this to look like a legitimate marriage for whatever citizenship hoops they were going to need to jump through along the way. Rosie wasn't really thinking like that. It all still seemed like pretend to her. We went to like, I don't know, some place and this Armenian guy sold us two simple wedding rings. And now it's starting to get weird, right? Because he's playing into this fantasy of setting up the wedding that I thought was not necessary if this is really just about citizenship. Except it kind of was. They were eventually going to have to go through an interview and visits from the government to examine their relationship. See if they both told the same story about their history. Look at photos. Make sure this was a real marriage. Because don't forget, what they were doing was illegal. But it was also so ridiculous that I thought it was super funny. What else do you do when you can't stand behind the decisions you're currently making? I was like, okay, I'm going to this hole-in-the-wall place where they melt down gold to buy a super cheap ring with this guy. And I'm starting to kind of look at my life as it's playing out as a really funny joke. But the thing was, is that it's a joke when you have somebody to kind of side-eye and laugh about what's going on. And I didn't have that. I was kind of like, this is ridiculous. This is funny. And I was enjoying that. And it wasn't until my wedding day that I realized, oh, I'm the only one in here. (laughs) I'm the only one in this inside joke. Because (laughs) on my wedding day, nobody came. None of my friends, I asked all my friends to come like as a witness. Nobody came. Nobody was willing to come. They all thought it was like crazy what I was doing. My girlfriend and I had left for California, a month-long backpacking trip on the Pacific Crest Trail. The people who came was Gena's father, who doesn't speak any English, who just arrived from Russia, and like three guys I had never met before in my life that didn't speak English. And so here I am at the courthouse in downtown Manhattan with Gena, whose English isn't great, and four guys that don't speak any English in suits barely paying attention to me. I got a wedding dress the day before at the Salvation Army that like barely fit me. It was like a lampshade. It was a wedding dress I would never actually wear. And yet here she was at her real wedding, actually wearing it. It was like for a busty person. I got it very quickly, $50. I get dressed at that place on the Lower East Side. We go through the subway. I'm going through the subway with this insanely big wedding dress. (laughs) And these guys, I mean- I'm still thinking this is funny. I'm walking through the subway with a bunch of people that I don't know with red roses and suits. And we go to the courthouse. And they got married in front of a judge. What does it take? 10 minutes? 20? 30 to change your life? And then they were back out on the street as... What is it? Man and wife? Is that what they say? Husband and wife? Then we walk out to the Brooklyn Bridge with red roses to take pictures. Somewhere miles away on the other side of Manhattan across the Hudson River, her parents sat at home in New Jersey, watching TV and eating dinner. 
completely unaware of the night's significance. I think it was walking out of the courthouse that I started kind of having the thought, there's nobody in here within this inside joke. Like, there's nobody that I'm laughing with. And Maybe the joke was on her after all. And then there's like bottles of vodka in bags and we're taking shots of vodka as the day's going. The vodka numbs the lonely feeling, distorts her image of the scene, her wedding day, surrounded by strangers, speaking Russian. Rosie doesn't speak Russian. I kind of remember going to Brighton Beach. We get to a restaurant. I kind of remember food being served. And that's all. That's it. I don't remember anything else. I I don't remember that night at all. At all. Like, I've seen pictures of that night. I saw a video of me dancing the hora, like the Jewish kind of like fun dance. No recollection of it at all. I wake up in the morning. I'm in that Lower East Side apartment under a blanket, completely naked. There's nobody there. And I'm just like, I have no idea what happened. Don't miss next week for the epic conclusion of What Happens When You Marry a Stranger and to what links Rosie will go to in order to erase her past and be with Robert. Take it from me, her story has really just gotten started and you're not going to want to miss this. So I get a plane ticket to Anchorage, Alaska. This young stripper picked me up and I lived in her apartment for two weeks and Alaska is insane. There are more grizzly bears in Alaska than there are people and Robert's very welcoming but there's a coldness going on. I had no concept of how dangerous that could have been. Thank you for being here with me today, Earth Monster. If you have love for the show and you want to support us, you can write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That's the Purple Podcast app on your phone. Or hit us up with 143 on Venmo at Your Necessary Delusion. You can call the voicemail at 323-540-4540 to give us feedback on an episode or tell us a story of your own or... Maybe you just took half a weed gummy and you need to vent. I'm here for it. Hey, Matt. It's Devin. I just got finished um, listening to Grace's episode, which was awesome. It's very interesting. I love getting all these different perspectives of things. But anyways, that's not the point. It got me kind of thinking, like, I don't even know that you can use this. And I may have had, you know, a couple nibbles of a gummy bear. (laughs) But um, I always feel like accepting is such a shitty word because you're like, oh, I accept you for who you are, kind of like implying that who this person is is a negative in some way, which is not, but whatever. At this point, we're just like breaking down and dissecting every single word in the English language and figuring out how problematic it is. I don't know. I don't know. I told you I might have had half a gummy bear. So you could just delete these. I hope you're having a great day. We will be back next week with more epic everyday stories of success and redemption. Until next time. And very special guest, here is Marcus, our unofficial resident shrink on the podcast and former roommate of the Queen's apartment, to talk about when Rosie moved in. Marcus? It's a very memorable time, in part because there were five people, I think, living in the apartment at that time, a three-bedroom apartment with no living room, so it was a real full house. I don't remember whether she was paying to live with us or whether we were just, like, at that time, letting all sorts of people just live with us. I remember that she had a makeshift, um, like, basically like a child's pillow fort. Um, that she built in your room. There were, like, cushions and, like, maybe a blanket that sort of tented over the top. That was, like, where she slept. Our bathroom, like any bathroom used by five 
20-year-olds was just constantly covered in puddles of water. At some point, I stopped trying to keep the shower curtain closed. The floor was forever covered in water, and I accepted it like that. I think I actually talked myself into thinking that it added to the experience, except I would always forget and soak my socks when I went into pee. Anyway, Rosie was new, and she was a problem solver. I think at some point she decided without consulting anyone that she was going to she's going to buy a bag of sawdust and dump sawdust all over the floor of our bathroom to absorb the water. Which worked, but then she just left the sawdust, like it was the bottom of a hamster cage. But that then led to the entire bathroom being covered in sawdust. And, uh, I mean, we had cats. People were, like, trapping sawdust all over the apartment on the bottoms of their feet. Our whole house was basically just covered in, like, the thinnest layer of sawdust, which did nothing but, like, make our house so much more dirty than it already was. Ta-ta-delusion.